Hi, my name's Josh Kohler, and I'm running to be the director of Halloween. My opponent, John Carpenter, hates dogs. This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to Better Late Than Never. And happy Halloween, everybody. Happy fall. My name is Dave and I am your host. This is a movie podcast. And what we do on this podcast is we try and figure out how it is that I have two friends who are grown men who have never seen the original Halloween before. After we figure that out, show them the movie that they have somehow never seen before, we're going to figure out if they thought the film was better late, that they've been missing out by never having seen it, or never, that the movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. I am joined by these two friends who I am deeply ashamed of, Josh and Drew, Guys, welcome to the program. Happy Halloween. What the fuck? <laughs> How are you going to say happy Halloween after all that vitriol you just spewed, my friend? My mm. friend in quotes. Mm. <laughs> I feel sins <laughs> no more. So-called friend. Yeah, not that it's not well-deserved, but, you know, ouch. How? Well, first of all, I mean, Halloween... I'm glad that it's fall. Thanks for acknowledging that. Thanks oh, for time. I love it. It's a little bit rude to timestamp the pod, but. Well, Josh, this kind of continues your horror movie education since last year we ran the series with Friday the 13th. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I really have to say when you, when you shame us for not having seen Halloween, well, there's a real, uh, you know, overwhelming amount of horror movies from this period that all, uh, we're out there, and so I think, if anything, the reason I didn't see it was a product of oversaturation of the market. Mm. I see. Mm. Well, I, I, in fact, am going to take this even deeper. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this on to an even deeper cut, if you will. Whoa. Drew, I don't know if you remember, all the way back to episode three of this podcast... I rem I know where you're going with this. Oh yeah, and I remember, and I had notes to refer the Hellraiser back. podcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> where you described Halloween and Michael Myers as being the weak sister to Friday the Thirteenth and Jason Voorhees. Dave, now now on these pods, I'm peeling the curtain back here a little bit, but you know, thereby showing the your ignorance. By the way, we. We we come in with our notes for this, right? That that we want to that we want to go over. I've prepared mm -hmm. some notes for this. I'm not All just right. flying off the cuff. Okay, the very first note that I have 
is about referring back to, <laughs> to what, what, what I said on that, that pod. My We're, first note too. Yeah. I mean, so I did think until that very podcast episode that Jason, that Friday the 13th predated Halloween and that Halloween was a knockoff. Oh. So I was dead wrong there. I now know. That doesn't mean that I now know that much about Halloween, which we'll get to, right? <laughs> what an idiot. Boom. I haven't not even I haven't even seen Halloween and I can tell you that that there's no way that this is going to be a worse movie or a weak sister, which I feel like maybe is a on PC phrase now, a few years into the pod, redheaded uh, stepchild. Uh, I would say that there's. I my prediction is this is going to be better and has to be better than Friday the Thirteenth. That's wow. my prediction of mine, but maybe not Friday the Thirteenth three. Well, Drew, I, I, I'm actually, I make fun, but uh, although I by the time the Hellraiser podcast episode happened, I knew that Friday the Thirteenth was a straight ripoff of Halloween. As I grew up, I will cop to the fact that I I always viewed Michael Myers and the Halloween films as being kind of like maybe not a pale imitation of Friday the 13th because I never really thought about it in terms of what came first, but just sort of like the same thing, but the one I wanted to watch less. Like I always liked Jason better. Yeah. And speaking of which, guys, since we're talking about slasher movies, do, who's our favorite? You know, you got your Freddy, you got your Jason, you got your Michael, or if you want to, again, pun totally intended, make a deeper cut. Uh-huh. You got your pinheads, your leather faces. If we're going your, into the uh, in the fantasy, wish masters and candy men. If we're going yeah. into the fantasy genre of it, then it's the Leprechaun movies. Oh, nice. Uh, and they're le- honestly not very, the first two are barely violent. I mean, it's all very, very cheesy. And then it's Leprechaun in Space is the reason I stand the entire franchise. Leprechaun in Space is four, though, by the way. You it, gotta, it is. And well, Leprechaun there's 3 the, makes a quick trip to Las Vegas. The le- yes, and it's a terrible, terrible one. It's a terrible uh, edition. I, would, I watched it maybe twice, once as a kid and once as an adult. And the second time as an adult was like, cool, never again. But uh, in the slasher world, Freddy probably because of the of the dreamscape aspect. Cool, Drew. I'd have to say my favorite uh, slasher is Chucky from Child's Play. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Brad Dourif. I do like some Dourif. <laughs> I just i I am a Jason guy through and through. I love that hockey mask wearing freak. Oh, come on, dude! If we need the we need the yell from from Child's Play, the Chucky yell. The, <laughs> he doesn't even wear the mask until movie three, and I in know. movie two, he wears a paper bag over his head or a sack. It's a burlap. It's a sack. sack. It's a sack. Yeah. We gotta talk about the mask, like as a that's gonna be a whole rabbit hole here, isn't it? I mean, oh my, yes. Oh, you mean the casting of William Shatner's face? All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's let's. <laughs> The best casting in the movie, if you ask me. Let's 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 hang on a second. First, I want to ask you guys, even before we get to what what's going to happen in the movie, I want to know why you haven't seen it. Now, Josh, you said it was because the market was oversaturated, but I mean, you never saw the original. 
if you're passing the ball to me, I think this was probably just in the category of movies that uh, had a reputation for being too violent for my mom to let into my 12-year-old psyche. And I think when I was maybe 11, I saw one of the sequels, maybe Halloween 4. Mm-hmm. I watched Halloween 4 with a group of like, you know, what middle school friends or whatever at somebody's house. And for a period of time, it was one of the scariest movies I had ever seen. And it did make me want to go back and watch more of them. But I was also so scared of it. I never had that. I was like, never. So I guess what I'm saying is I was too scared to see Halloween. Mm, That's fair. Wow. Drew? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, usually here we ask, like, what kind of reactions do you get when people learn that you haven't seen the movie? For me, the reason I haven't seen it, I would point to, I mean, people weren't talking about this movie around me pretty much my whole life. Uh, You know, I I think the, the fact that you had me expressing my impression that I thought that uh, Friday the 13th was the seminal one and that this was somehow an imitation kind of shows that, that Friday the 13th and some of those more, I'll use the term mainstream, but I, I, I think, I think similar to what Josh said at the top, other, other, you know, bigger hits were stealing the show in my social circles. And I think my exposure to Halloween was I I knew it existed. I, you know, I saw the, the, the box at the video store and sometimes I might notice that it was on TV, but I, I, I never really, I never really got pulled in and there was no advocate around me being like, dude, Halloween, come on. We got to, you you have to see this. I didn't have any friends that were into it. So just kind of, Never really hit me. So not too many horror horror heads in your life until I mean I mean it but but somehow, yeah, I mean my friends were into horror films. We just were into other ones. You know? Yeah, yeah. A shit. I mean, even me, like Halloween is not really my favorite of the franchises, so Sometimes these these movies, really successful movies, it's interesting how many times on this podcast the reason for not seeing something is generally like something to the effect. I I say this as someone who's used this line before is like if you don't have a group of friends that stand for something, even if it's a huge property, then you never see it because like I've never seen Saving Private Ryan because no one in my life has stand that movie. I mean, I think people in my life have said, oh, that's a good movie. You should see it sometime. And Halloween is like not something that anyone in my life has said, you've got to watch Halloween. I know and it's interesting because you said the other movies are mainstream. Halloween has a reputation for being a very successful independent movie. So maybe that's also part of it. Like it truly may, I don't remember this being rerun on TV. And I do, I ran out and saw Halloween H2O in theaters. I think that was so bad. It burned me a little bit on going back and watching more of them. Oh, snap. Shots fired H2O. I mean, I know a lot about the Mike Myers franchise, and I'll try to save more of my trivia for part two because you probably have some in your queue you want to say. But I'm excited. This is long overdue is one thing I certainly will admit, and I'm excited to finally dive into it. 
All right. Well, let, let's dive into what you guys think you might have picked up because, you know, some of you guys have seen some of the sequels. You've at least heard a little bit. What's the movie even about? Uh, set at Camp Golden Lake. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it's, the campers aren't there yet. Uh, no, it's set in a town, right? It's just basically a town and there's a serial killer on the loose. What's his name? Mike Myers, but not related to the one that was on NBC's Saturday Night Live. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's his mom. <laughs> okay. Drew, do you concur? Um, mostly. I mean, uh, the impressions that I have, uh, a lot of the scenes that I'm familiar with involve being in a house, um, being chased around in the house. So I'm not, my impression is that there's a sort of haunted house uh, aspect to the story. And I do think that Mike Myers, first of all, I'm not clear if he goes by Mike or Michael. So I guess we'll find that out. Okay. And beyond that, you know, in I, while I agree that we will not, as in Friday the 13th, find out that Mike Myers is, in fact, his mother behind the mask. I think it's actually <laughs> him. But I think the character of his mother is important to the plot in some way. Like, he has some sort of a creepy relationship with with his mother or is somehow avenging her or there's there's some weird quasi edible thing going on that's one okay. prediction i may may or may not be correct um you know i know i know the 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 visage of uh mike myers you know he's got the mask unlike mm. our uh slacker jason who didn't bring it until was it the third film third film jesus I he's know. still wearing the burlap sack in the second one well i think it's more he's just like a mutant i don't think he wears anything over his, his head for the he's, first like, he's not really the killer in the first one right um spoiler alert uh-oh <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry. sorry folks <laughs> for a movie that came out in like 1980 or whenever the fuck and uh in the second one it's just a burlap bag lazy fuck right okay yeah and then uh so he has he has a mask it's not a hockey mask it's just a white mask featureless uh he's got black hair visible coming out behind it uh and he he uses a uh, butcher's knife and uh think he's wearing kind of like a one piece kind of pajama style get up he's in a onesie he's, he's in a onesie a, he's yeah. basically from i almost wrote down onesie but you know i'm thinking of an infant with a you know the legless kind you know gentlemen it's called a union suit please please <laughs> he's wearing a union suit thank you Josh. um also i'd like to i'd like to nitpick it's not a butcher's knife it's a freaking machete i believe Machete. Machete is what I'm predicting. You're going with machete. Okay. Machete. We differ on a prediction here. We got a controversy. Also, you guys want to I... lay a wager on it? That does make things fun, Josh. Uh, your call, man. What are you wagering? Um, I don't know. Something like uh, like Venmo, the other guy, a coffee or something. 
How am I going to Venmo you a coffee? It's a platform for transactions involving dollars, U.S. dollars. No, see, I get I get a coffee and you Venmo me the value in dollars. I and will you put coffee in the note with an emoji. I'll only enter into this bet if you uh, agree to Venmo. Though we will agree to Venmo the winner a coffee, but we first must invent a platform that can digitally send coffee like a trans uh, transporter in Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't okay? want to spoil anything, you guys, but this right here is actually, this conversation is what actually drove Michael Myers crazy enough to murder all the people in his <laughs> life. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, if, I'll send you a nice coffee or the, the value uh, in U.S. dollars to purchase a nice coffee. If, if you're nice right. coffee? Yeah. It's still fall, dude. You want that pumpkin spiced on ice. So yeah, nice. the sp- pumpkin spiced on ice. That, that's, that's what's at stake here. It's a the, deal. The spice flows <laughs> on ice. Let the spice flow. Spice. Man, how many other pod episodes are we going to reference today? Oh, my God. Well, that's a topical thing because the trailer for Dune just came out. But uh, I, I was going to stir out another prediction. Please uh, do. To keep us on track. I predict. Well, I know, I know who's in this movie. And I so I guess maybe I'll just keep that under wraps. Let's say I no no tell me who is in this movie. JLC. O M G. Everyone knows that Christopher Guest wife. Uh, Drew, do you know to whom this references? Jamie Lee Curtis. Absolutely. Listen before, because I know we're going to talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. I was just going to say that I have on good authority that she gets trapped in a closet. Uh oh. (laughs) And I believe (laughs) that. This is the origin. This is like Trapped in a Closet is a rock opera, that it, a hip-hop opera that is based on the Halloween It was movie. inspired by Halloween. Yeah. Everyone knows Very that. much so, yes. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Drew, what were you saying? Um, I think I have, I have one more uh, prediction here. That may or may not be correct, obviously. Okay. But so, uh, again, I'm, I, I have the impression that it's not as simple as he's just a serial killer on the loose. I feel like there's some kind of um, supernatural thing happening where oh. it's a haunting. He might only show up on Halloween or on All Hallows Eve or something, some kind of witchcrafty thing going on. And uh, there might be some kind of a Candyman style summoning ritual. And if there's not, I, I at least hope that there is. Okay. Okay. That's cool. all. That's that's all I had for predictions. I just wanted to get those out there before we dish on JLC. Well, tell me more about uh, Miss Lee Curtis. Oh goodness. Okay. Do you know Do you the want... name of her character? Oh no, I don't. Do you, Josh? Nope. Okay. Is it Peggy Sue? She it... <laughs> does. She get engaged? I was just thinking because was oh Mary Sue right? Isn't that is she is she is she named Mary Sue and is that is, she, is her character the origin of the Mary Sue? Uh, uh, her character is one of the her character is the original of a different type of film archetype. Interesting, yeah. Hmm. I kind of don't want to go heavy. I don't have a ton of other predictions. I have one that's sort of more ethereal. That is like, I do think that this is going to be a very unfortunate, uh, co- like the horror behind this movie. So Drew has proposed it's more supernatural i think this is going to be more of a fear-mongering type of 
thing about people with mental illness that I'm going to find pretty distasteful in, in 2020 because I just, and that is more based on elements from other movies of, of what I believe Jason's origin story to be. Cause I do believe he has escaped from uh, an institution. I okay. could be wrong about that. Um, do you guys know who directed the film? No. James Cameron. You can't guess that every film, Josh. <laughs> Isn't it? And you know it's an independent film. How could it be him? Well, someone, everyone's got to start somewhere. Fair enough. Maybe I would say there's a, John Carpenter. Okay. Um, any quotes from the film? I don't have a quote, but the theme music is iconic. Or the That was going to be my next question. Uh, I a, don't always a... ask this question for every movie, but for this one, I absolutely have to. Do you guys know the music? I don't know it. I want to hear Josh say it and then sing it. Sing it. That's actually a little bit more major key than it than it is. It makes it sound like a ska song. But it is like a very slow piano, one note, and then and then a minor uh upbeat of it. And I remember they use it in all of the franchise. I mean, that's why it's so iconic. It's awesome. So I, I mean, I don't want to. Say oh that. yeah, you've seen the sequels, so that's a little bit of cheating it's a, right there. It's a little bit of like, yeah. But it's Drew, just had like you, a uh, lonely had you sounding piano right there. Like, dun, 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 right. Had you heard it before Josh uh, regaled us just then? Um, it, it's, 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 it sounds familiar from the ether, from what Josh is putting down here. It's so, so iconic. I, feel like I I'll recognize have... it. It's so iconic. I shouldn't have done anything. Like I, I almost regret spoiling it like that because it's, it's. I'm sure. I'm sure when it's deployed, it's going to be awesome. I kind of expect this to be a short-ish movie. Yeah. I haven't looked at the runtime. In fact, I haven't even figured out how I'm going to watch it. Are you guys going to the VHS store like me and going to try and pick up a copy, or? I'm going to be yeah. renting it off of the internet. The what now? Yeah. No, I'm going to Blockbuster. I don't know what this kid's talking about. I'm going to the one blockbuster left in Portland that's now an Airbnb, and I'm going to spend the night. <laughs> I'm getting on a plane despite COVID. Do they still have a copy of all of the videos that were there when it closed or when the rest of the stores were closed? If there's not a VHS library, then, then what's the point? Then what's like, the why would I point? stay at that Airbnb? They have copies of the movies, but they're all haunted. Even better. <gasps> We'll get to meet Mike Myers. Yay! Yeah, he comes when you watch the movie. <laughs> hey, I thought I about, that? just on a side note that you'll probably hit the cutting room floor, I was thinking about uh, doing another horror franchise and naming the third movie in its season of The Witch. That just, I think that should just be a thing. Like all horror movie franchises should have <laughs> the third movie just be season of The Witch. Like it'd be, you know uh lake placid three season of the witch <laughs> <laughs> everyone anyway. knows the third season is always the season of the witch the wire season three season of the witch season of the witch <laughs> um wow that works well all right so i think that's the end for the formal question period of part one here do you guys have any final predictions before we actually watch halloween 
Okay. Well, we didn't we didn't really delve into Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, we can you guys, if you would like to. Okay. Do you guys – was Jamie Lee Curtis like a big icon for you guys growing up as as far as, uh, you know, her fame and notability? Yes. No. It was, From, it was more true lies. Okay. I mean, she was a person who had been in big movies for me, like True Lies and stuff. And my dad had me watch A Fish Named Wanda, but I didn't think of her as an icon, really. Yeah, so I remember when True Lies came out, everyone talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and how she was an icon and and a sex symbol and all of this. And I wasn't familiar with her as an actress at that time. So I'm kind of interested to see, you know, one of her, one of her kickoff kind of launched her What's career. What's her image going to be? Yeah. Well, anyway, we got to start somewhere and we're going to start with Halloween. So if everybody's ready, I say we watch this classic. I'm ready. Putting it in the VHS now. <laughs> I got that reference. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was a All right, guys. Joke. Well, I hope you enjoy this, and I will catch you on the other side. Well, that was a happy Halloween for everybody involved, I think, wasn't it, guys? Oh, so happy. Yes. Um... You know, so normally uh, when I talk about some of the stuff that I've picked up about these films, it's usually stuff I either just know or, you know, I've done a quick wiki surf or checked out a few articles or stuff online. But this time I actually did look at a few genuine sources that I want to reference off the top because, you know, I want to be good about that. And uh, the two that I want to call out are, number one, the venerable standby for every Halloween season now is the book Shock Value by Jason Zineman. And then for this particular pod, I listened to another podcast, a really, really great one that is a deep dive into Halloween and all things about Halloween, which is the podcast Halloween Unmasked. Uh, which is done by the critic Amy Nicholson. And if you are interested in learning more about the background of this movie, definitely listen to that because it's fucking awesome. So if you hear any fun facts and want to learn more, odds are came from one of those. Or, you know. Or, or me, because I weirdly know a lot about this movie and franchise. No, oh. really? I got some trivia to throw into this section. That's correct. Oh, nice. That was pretty good. Yeah, well, before we get into the trivia, guys, what did you think of the movie? 
I liked it. I gave it uh, two thumbs up. Noise. I did not. <gasps> wow. I So this is... I will launch into a quick thing about how I thought this was so superior to the Friday the 13th movies in terms of compo- composition and tension building and actual scare value, like bang for your buck, because it's pretty gruesome. And I was glad that it was, uh, we are watching this in the afternoon. And um, I, I mean, it, I'd like to maybe revisit it like late at night in the dark because it's, it's, uh, I was definitely put on edge. You're getting spooked? Yes. Getting the willies? Correct. You know, it's not actually that gruesome. There is no blood in the film. Uh, uh, there's, there's some blood. Yeah, there's some blood. Jamie Lee Curtis has it on her hands at the very least. At, yeah, she's got like a movie. cut on her arm, but like the, the there's no like you know nothing is caused. You know, it, we don't wa- see. Yeah, we don't see a, an active puncture with the blood coming from the wound. But you know, like when Michael cuts Annie's blood. throat, there's no. It's not like the Friday. The, it's not like Tom Savini's Friday the Thirteenth. No, that's. The, I mean, that's true, and uh, they don't even. When she's at the very end of the movie, when you see her again, you can't even see the cut. It's it just looks like her throat is bruised. But mm. uh, it's interesting because earlier today I watched The Wolverine, and it's very similar. There's a lot of stabbing in that movie, and also not a lot of blood. Gotta uh, get that PG-13 rating. But in the '70s, there was no PG-13, right? Where it was an R. I mean, this must have been an R movie. Oh, it must have been an R movie, but. Um... You know, uh, there was no PG-13 in the 70s. That is correct. There is Drew. Oh, what? sorry. What year was that, that uh, the PG-13 rating was introduced? Oh, um, it was in response to uh, Temple of Doom, um, and I think also Gremlins a little bit. So, uh, 84? Yeah. 85? Wait, so Drew, you, you gave this a neg reaction. What? What's up yeah. with that? Tell us yeah. more. Um, yeah, I just... I mean, I have a lot of observations throughout. I just didn't enjoy this movie. I I pulled the blinds and made it dark. I uh, tried to get into the suspense of it. I just found it to be hokey. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't agree with you, but I can certainly see how it is a movie, very much a movie from the 70s and very much an independent movie from the 70s. So yeah. it's not like the production values are crazy, but they make them they get bang for their buck i I yeah for what they were working with i just like i can see how it might have had the impact that it wanted at the time i just couldn't suspend my disbelief and get over the bad special effects and like i just didn't feel i wasn't i wasn't into it it just seemed like all the characters were kind of like uh I don't know. I just, I, I, I couldn't get into it. All right. All right. Well, let's see if, as we discuss this movie, Drew, you start to come around on it a little bit, okay? Maybe. You can try to peer pressure me into saying that I liked a movie that I didn't. Yeah. But... I, that's not my agenda at all, because I, I think movie opinions are subjective, and I wouldn't try to steer you in either direction. I will very loyally make the case as to why I enjoyed it, but 
that isn't that's my independent opinion that's the uh you know we're allowed to disagree i'm a straight peer pressure you drew okay cool (laughs) it's dave's podcast he's allowed to have an agenda yeah that's right no this is cool all right so first thing on the agenda is the background of the movie bum 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 john carpenter's halloween yes you were correct about that Yeah, good job nicely done (laughs) uh uh, by the way uh guys fans of john carpenter yes no maybe yes generally yeah absolutely john carpenter's the thing which actually that might have been my favorite part of this movie but i won't say what exactly okay (laughs) all right so this movie is from 1978 other movies had come out at that point and had started to kind of create the horror genre as we know it today, but this is the one that really sets the template for horror as we think about it today, particularly for the slasher genre. So the Texas Chainsaw Massacre had come out in 1974, and that had introduced the idea of a masked killer, and that movie had had a final girl, but we weren't quite there yet. Also coming out in 1974 was a film that was even more influential on this movie, which was a movie called Black Christmas. Have either of you guys uh, seen or heard of that movie? Negative. It's Canadian. That's that's not the same as uh, Silent Night, right? I'm thinking of the one with the the where the cover has. uh, Yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night. No, 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 no. I'm thinking of something else. The cover well, has Santa's hand coming out of the chimney with an axe. No, Black Christmas is a movie about a deranged killer who stalks and murders girls in a sorority over a Christmas holiday. Mm. And it has a very similar opening shot so the i don't know if you guys know this but um the opening shot of this movie if you noticed it it was this very long unbroken tracking shot yes uh it's it's a very famous shot and it's pretty impressive technically especially for the time and for what they were working with black christmas opens with a very similar one and it's also from the killer's pov yeah um And it kind of like, it makes you the killer, you know, a little bit. And um, the director of Black Christmas had had a conversation with John Carpenter about his idea for a sequel to Black Christmas, which was kind of similar. He said like, oh, I had this idea where like the killer who spoilers for Black Christmas, the 1974 movie, um, the killer's never caught. So... Uh, He said the killer would get caught, put in an institution, and then break out of the institution and come back and kill people again on Halloween. And so, you know, there's some similarities to that idea. However, Carpenter says the idea for this movie mostly comes from this guy, the producer Erwin Yoblins, who you might have seen in the credits. Yeah. This guy, Erwin Yoblins, had this idea... He called up John Carpenter. He's like, I got this idea for a movie, see? Uh, It's a movie where a killer is stalking young girls. Babysitters. He's stalking and killing babysitters. I call it The Babysitter Murders. Oh, my God. I really wished you had said The Babysitter's Club. Yeah, well. That, (laughs) That would make that one of the most 
ultimate trivias. He's killing him with a knife. I call it the babysitter knife. No, no, wait. Something more brutal than that. He's what killing him with forced? a blunt object. I call it the babysitter's club. <laughs> but anyways, so he gets that far. And he's like, maybe he's doing it on Halloween or something. And Carpenter's like, stop talking. You've struck oil. Hold and on. I would <laughs> yeah, like to yeah. say, uh, yeah. would the Babysitter's Club be a basher movie? <laughs> would it be in the... <laughs> I, think, I just made Dave <laughs> joke. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> taking a sip of beer when you said that um i suppose it would uh and so carpenter was like yeah i'll, I'll make that fucking movie and so he did they you know they, they talk it out at yoblins was like here's the thing though you're not gonna get any money for this we're gonna give you three hundred thousand dollars can you make this mo- can you make this movie for three hundred thousand dollars oh he did, right? And, did they well, make it, yeah, he did. Make it for even less, right? No, three hundred. I think it's about three hundred thousand dollars was the budget, but that's what they're working with. So, Drew, when you say, you know, they didn't have a lot of special effects and that it looked cheap and stuff in some parts, well, they didn't have a lot of money to work with. This was an indie film. This was an independent film. For a period of time, it was one of the most successful independent films. I think it's lost that title. But... It has lost that title, but and we'll talk about this some more, but there was a period of time where it was the most successful independent film ever made. Which I think just because up until this point, there had been a lot of creepy movies, but no one had made a movie just quite like this. That is, yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily would consider it hokey, but sort of self-aware and also giving you the viewer a sort of grotesque like uh i mean all the pov stuff is pretty it really puts you in the driver's seat of it which is weird yeah speaking of special effects apparently a fair percentage of their budget was spent on bags of leaves because of course they had to turn california into the midwest into haddonfield illinois at halloween Oh, this movie. So they had to buy giant bags of leaves to kind of like put, you know, just sort of like throw out into frame to make California look like the Midwest a little bit. And they were so precious that once the shot was over, they had to go and rake them all up again and put them back into bags and hang on to them. So they could reuse them for another shot. Yes. That's how on the cheap this movie was. That was Pumpkins. that was more economical than just just flying the crew to Illinois and filming there. You have any fucking idea how much money they would have had to spend to do that? Like the idea, they also probably built the house or at least had a pre-built house set that they tore up. Lori's room house. was the was just like one of the people who worked on the film's room. Like, they were just shooting it in places they had access to. I really thought the closet had to have been built because it was, it's like, so it felt huge. So if they did that on location, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Pumpkins, none of those were pumpkins. They were all, you know, they're in California. They didn't have pumpkins. They had gourds that were yellow, and they spray painted them orange. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah. Fun, right? They don't have pumpkins in California? Uh, I mean, I'm sure they do now. But at the time, they, you know, it was before uh, globalization was there enough. Also, they may have been shooting. Maybe there are. <laughs> Maybe I'm there skeptical. are pumpkins there in maybe there are pumpkins there in the fall that get that get carted in, but yeah. it was it was maybe where they know, couldn't the afford wrongs. them. It was yeah. all the pumpkins are twenty dollars, to... but the gourds are ten, and this can <laughs> yeah. of spray paint is five. But what was... about the cost of my lungs, sir? <laughs> Those cost nothing. Now get to work. <laughs> so, circling this back to um, establishing the whole genre this movie whether intentionally or not starts to establish the template of horror movies that you know later gets called out all the time nowadays and all our meta stuff like scream and cabin in the woods so like whereas you know texas chainsaw massacre had a final girl this one establishes a little bit more that there's kind of like a virginal final girl and this one it seems rather unintentionally given what uh, the people behind the film have had to say about it. Uh, it establishes this pattern that it's the people who have sex who die. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was one of the first things I jotted down because you know, that that's, that's become a trope over time and it's from the very first killing in this film. It's like, Oh, okay. You know, yeah. it's punishment for having sex. Well, that's kind of like a coincidence in this film, but that gets pushed much harder later by like Friday the 13th. Yeah, which I is think much more moralistic. Me. It bothered me a little bit, not a ton that, you know, when you said oh, when I said uh that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character would be some kind of like a Mary Sue, and you said not that necessarily, but another archetype. I could have just said Survivor Girl, but I I don't know. I it was like it seemed like that was so well known. So I guess I'm ruining the fact that in hindsight, I could have laid claim to a prediction. Well, so uh, Mary Sue, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that is a term nowadays deployed very misogynistically, a term for a character, a female character who is just naturally good at everything without having done anything to earn it. And the male version of it is a Gary Stew. Uh, the term that you might have been reaching for could be either final girl or I was thinking the term you might have been thinking of would be scream queen. Oh, I'm not familiar with scream queen. You're not familiar with the term? No, but final girl. I mean, yeah, that or survivor. I think of it as survivor. But So scream queen is not a in movie term. Scream queen is a meta Hollywood term. It's the term for actresses who are associated with horror movie roles. So, for instance, Jamie Lee Curtis, or Faye Ray, or even Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, Janet Lee. Wow. You could also think of um, another person from the Halloween franchise, Danielle Harris. I feel like you keep waiting for us to contribute one. I don't have one. <laughs> I have one in arm's length. I'm not good really like guys? that. Scream Queens? Uh, Nothing? Uh, Paul Rudd's in Halloween 4. Does he oh, count? yeah. We'll talk We'll talk about Paul Rudd and Tommy Doyle. Paul Thomas Rudd <laughs> as he's building it. Jeez, uh, I don't know. I, for all the horror movies I do watch, I don't track uh, the cast members so much. So, hmm. okay. Sorry, bud. Yeah, I, I, I'm drawing a blank, too. 
Well, anyway, let's talk about the John Carpenter just a touch. Um, so you guys said you were fans. I just want to toss out that he also did the music, which is so fucking good in this movie. Yeah. Original score. I definitely yep. took note of that. The song is, what do the kids call it this day, these days? A banger? A bop? <laughs> it slaps? No. It stabs. It stabs. Oh, God. I don't even have kids, and I'm already doing dad jokes. There's also, like, in addition to the piano work, there's that persistent, like, clicking tempo noise that like the whole time it just like yeah i definitely wrote took a note that uh the score is giving you the best that 70s synth the best 70 the best synth the 70s had to offer that's a tongue twister yeah did you also notice the co-writing and production credit to deborah hill yes do you guys know who that is negative so she was the co-writer of the film and she was a producer on the movie and she had a long uh very fruitful partnership with john carpenter she worked with him on the fog escape from new york halloween 2 and escape from la and she was a successful producer in her own right uh among some of the kind of like highlight movies that she produced apart from carpenter would be like the dead zone clue and the fisher king um, Wait, really? That's a Terry Gilliam, the Fisher King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's known as Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King. Huh. Not, well, not really. It's one of his better a, films, too. No, that is a joke. I agree. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to call her out because um, she was kind of a, you know, it was very uncommon for uh, women to have that level of power and involvement. And she was a huge trailblazer. And the fact of her co writing the script is part of what. I think makes the female characters in this movie in particular. She write she wrote a lot of the dialogue for the female characters and it's what makes them feel a little bit more real and developed as opposed to say the walking dead meat that you get in a Friday the 13th or a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's they all you know the dialogue in this is is pretty good. In fact, there was a lot of times where uh, every time I thought, oh, that's kind of a bit. I don't like loose ends, and I don't like horror movies or scary movies that just don't think the viewer is going to pay any attention. An example of this, but this one does like this one. The script helps track that, and it's largely done through dialogue. So the first one that came to mind uh, at the very top of the movie when. Our, our boy Mike Myers drives, I immediately went, how is it possible for this person to know how to drive? And I wrote, took it down as a thing that kind of bothered me. And that, it's not saying they did the best job explaining it, but at least a scene later, one of the characters is like, well, he would never even know how to drive in the first place. And like, yeah, the explanation is just another guy going, someone must have taught him. Yeah, but I was like, Hey, they asked the question. They, they, least, they call yeah. it out, but I don't think they do a great job. Expl- I think that that is actually one of the gaps in the film. Like, how does he know how to drive? That's also, it's the 70s. Yeah. Those aren't automatics. But a more audacious He knows uh, how movie, to drive stick, Josh. A more audacious movie wouldn't mm. explain it at all. I mean, it, it yeah. was like. Yeah, that's right. It, 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 they addressed it. I mean, that's a, that's a good point. 
but I, he's not even just driving. He's like driving around, like stalking people in a car. I mean, yeah, he's driving well. I believe a, the line when 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 the doctor is confronted about that, he initially is like when it said, "Oh, he wouldn't be able to drive." His his knee jerk first response is, "He seemed to be driving just fine." Basically, like you know, he managed it. And then he went to perhaps someone, you know, here at the facility taught him over the years, you know, like he hasn't been, he hasn't been under the best of care here. Well, no, that, that look, this highlights a whole element of the, of the Mike Myers legacy is the, a lot of the movie is people saying, Hey, this just happened. And the other character in the scene gaslighting them and saying, no, it didn't. You're crazy. So this yeah. is like the first one. He's like, he was driving a car. Well, he couldn't drive. That's impossible. Well, he was doing it last night. And then what's funny is uh, Lori goes on the, she goes on one end of it where she keeps seeing him and saying, Hey, did you see that person over there? And her friends are like, you're crazy, Lori. And then yeah. the kid's like, Hey, what about that boogeyman in the bushes? And, and she's then like, she goes to him. Yeah. She turns to him and says, Oh, there's no boogeyman. You're out of here. I was like, no, of yeah. all the characters in this movie, this one should be like a boogeyman. You say, uh, that seems in line with what I've also been experiencing. But Young man, if you tell me that you're seeing a strange dude standing outside this house one more time, you're going to bed without your supper. Yeah, I, that. but that made me, I mean, I think I liked that. Uh, I guess I could see that didn't frustrate me. That made me more like filled with dread because it was so just all they had to do was talk to each other and they could have maybe not avoided this mass murder that happens, but but at least maybe prepared you know it's sort of like covid like if we had just done a little bit better less bodies would have piled up all right Captain there's a tragic Topical. element to it right there's a you know they could um, have seen it coming you know drew uh this actually brings us back to one of the predictions that you got terribly terribly wrong or josh i forget which of you got it right and which of you got it wrong which is uh michael myers is not supernatural uh, that I, I 100% did not suggest that. So sorry, Drew. I'm throwing you under the bus. I think, yeah, no, I, I, I was, I was the one suggesting it was a haunting and that he was some kind of, uh, he was summoned somehow. Well, and however, so that's not. However, though, Drew, you, you might actually be right because throughout the course of the film, um, we did see some evidence that Michael might be actually capable of teleportation. Go on. <laughs> I'm thinking of the, uh, the scene where he's standing like right in front of Lori on the the walkway and he just goes behind the bush and then they go and look around the corner and he's just gone. So I, I thought about that too, Dave, but I think he had enough time. I was actually like trying to think of this. He had enough time when they were talking to each other and approaching the bush to to run back and behind the house. But he never runs. No, you don't see him run. I, I I think there are other shots. I don't I didn't take a note of one, but there's at least one other moment in the movie where you see him through a window and there's a one second cut back to the character and a one second cut and he's gone. And so there are some times where he does appear to transport. I just yeah. or either that or he like dropped down to the ground. He's like crawling away. Right. I mean, the, 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 the physics of what he would have needed to do defy what we see him doing on screen throughout the film. But all, I, I would I would say the best evidence for him potentially being supernatural is the fact that he 
managed to survive five gunshots and <laughs> yeah. falling out of a second story window like well, and instantly and, get away and he learned how to drive stick in a second have you guys ever tried to drive stick i still think there was a nefarious nurse that must have taught him Come well there's the actually a net a netflix series coming out that tracks that nurses and and mike myers's autobiography at at the insane asylum the prequel trilogy prequel, prequel series yeah it's called yeah, ratcheted. Netflix is- <laughs> ratcheted they've done ratchet and now they're doing ratcheted uh but no this i mean i think that is what's interesting is your prediction is not i wouldn't say your prediction is correct because he's not around because of a haunting but yes yeah. he also gets stabbed in the chest and then rises from presumably the dead and that's kind of his thing they don't explore it a lot in this one but in future installments they focus a lot more heavily on the fact that he is seemingly invincible yeah, and nothing terrible. they can do can take him down now, hang on. About the haunting prediction, is Lindsay's house not his old house Ain't where no. he killed his sister? It's not. Her dad is selling his old house. Yeah, there's the oh. old Myers house, which is what Loomis is standing outside of for most of the movie. That's right. Okay. Okay. So going through the cast, let's start with Jamie Lee Curtis playing Laurie Strode one of the definitive scream queens, an absolute icon. I mentioned that she was the daughter of Janet Lee. Did do either of you guys know who that is? Psycho, right? Yes, that is the oh, wow. character who was killed in the shower in Psycho. Wow. So she's keeping up the family business. That's good. Yes, yeah. they cast Jamie Lee Curtis as a little bit of a stunt, in fact, in order to gin up sales as sort of like this will be kind of like a similar deal. Did this was actually did you find anything about how much mileage they got out of that? Like, was there quite a hype about? Oh, it's uh, you know, a little bit. Daughter a was she unknown? Was she unknown at this point, or did she have? Yeah, um, relatively. Did you noticed that this was introducing Jamie Lee Curtis? Truth. It's her first film. Wow. No, this is her I, movie debut. I noticed that Donald Pleasance, a.k.a. our boy, Mike Myers, got top billing. No. Donald Pleasance plays world's best psychiatrist, Sam Loomis. Oh, really? Yep. Damn. Oh. Who, is, uh, who is Mike Myers then? Nick Castle. Who do you oh. want to talk about first? Well, I just remembered this thing that Nick Castle ended up playing Mike Myers for like 25 years after this. And... They eventually made a movie without Nick, right? And it was a big deal. It was like, oh, Nick Castle is finally letting like letting this role Someone fall out of his play. clutches. Is that wow. correct? You know, I don't know how many different people. I, I don't know how many people have played Mike Myers. Hmm. I well, anyway, Donald Pleasance is in a bunch more of them too, or at least that character. Donald is. Pleasance is actually the biggest through line. He's yeah. in like all of them up until wow. he died. Donald Pleasance is top build and is uh, playing, I think, the worst psychiatrist I've ever seen in a movie in my entire life. Unless you count Hannibal Lecter, of course. But Hannibal Lecter was a bad psychiatrist on purpose. <laughs> Donald Pleasance is a bad psychiatrist 
even though he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah, when he pulled out a snub nose revolver, I thought, what kind of a, I mean, I guess he had been working on this case for 15 years, right? He gave it eight, eight solid years to try to reach this young man and decided that he was the devil after those eight years, right? He decided he was the devil. He decided it was the devil. It the nurse the is like, devil. I'm not really comfortable with you calling your uh, patient it. He's like, yeah, well, you don't know him like I do. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that is not a bad way to like get into the actual like bones of the plot because, yeah, it it opens in '63 and we see two teens gonna gonna go bone. Yeah, in this again amazing bravura opening shot, it's this long unbroken sequence where we are in Michael Myers's head as he stalks and eventually murders his sister Judith, but while wearing a mask, not the type of mask that will keep you safe from respiratory diseases, but a clown mask. And I liked that detail of seeing the uh, having the filter on the camera so that it's like looking yeah. through the, the eye, the eye that, uh, cut out. That POV scene with the first kill and the mask on, that the way that that shot is set up, I think is iconically great. But I also, I also felt like the execution of the, like the stabbing motions during the first killing was really bad. Like the mask, like doesn't even point at the victim as he's stabbing. Like it, it's like his head moves up and he's looking out the window while the stabs are happening. Why does he look at the knife? Oh, yeah, well, that's that's because the, that's because he is uh, soulless, I think. But I mean, there is um, I don't remember thinking too much about the stabs, but there is there is blood here. There is a little bit of blood. Yes, here that's to go where the blood is. But but it's it's like it's like the I didn't feel like like he wasn't looking because he was soulless. I just felt like it was kind of sloppy and it was an excuse moving the camera away from the victim was an excuse to apply the blood before moving the camera back onto the victim. I think it was all of those things. Probably. And I will, it's a bit hokey here. Then they go to this POV walking outside the perspectively, the parents rolling up and the crane shot of, uh, that reveals we get to see child Mike Myers in the clown suit I mean that is it's campy. I would I don't know if it's intentionally campy either. I think it just may be the limitations of the budget. But I can see when you say this is hokey, that's one area. Yeah, I mean this kill is not. It's a good intense build up to maybe not the most successful on screen murder that's ever happened. But it does yeah. also set the table for like as a viewer, you're you know what where this is gonna be. I mean I think yeah, if you that's don't, what he did as a little boy. Yeah, yeah, you've established the character pretty well from that scene. That's that's yeah. And this movie absolutely. loves its titles because then flash forward to nineteen. Uh, well, 70. hang on. I just want to share one of my favorite things about this opening shot, which okay. I learned from the delightful podcast Halloween Unmasked, which is that the amount of time that elapses between when Judy and her boyfriend say, "Let's go upstairs." And Judy's boyfriend saying, yeah, that was great. I guess I'll call you later. 
one minute and eight seconds. <laughs> Gentlemen, can you tell me if that is a normal amount of time to have a lapse? Certainly depends on, uh, you know, what you've been doing into the, 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 the event, uh, you know? Yeah. Sure. I'm sure. What did they do with that one? There's a few times in this movie where they go from talking about sex to like in bed. It happens later in the movie too, in like zero seconds. So maybe everyone in this movie, maybe they're just from a world, a universe where everyone can like transport a little, like everyone can accelerate time just a little bit when when it's teleportation is common. Yeah. And he uses it for evil and they use it to have sex faster. That's there. Okay. So they're all supernatural. Yes, just actually. a little bit, <laughs> just enough. Okay. Uh, so, but we do we do uh, cut forward to fifteen years 15 later. Years, yeah, and we meet world's best psychiatrist, Doctor Loomis, and we mm-hmm. also see the world's easiest uh, psychiatric asylum escape. Basically, well, that I mean, I was like clear when he when she's like, huh. I guess they just let them walk around at night. No, no, this sound is right. Bad. It's raining. This, yeah. No, this is <laughs> obviously not something that's happened. And I enjoyed the, uh, the, the him on the top of the car thing, because there was a, 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 I definitely had a minute where I was like, God, it seems like she should be able to get away from this unscathed. And so and she basically I mean, she, does. She loses the car, but like if he had killed, I thought he was gonna like rip her through the windshield or something. And I think that would have been. If they made this today, she'd have died. It was, it yeah, would have been it was a too little much too early. That she, yeah. Well, Someone, but, but we saw a kill already. He was clearly going for the violence. It, it does seem like an odd choice not to have had that be a kill. Kept it. Slightly in the world of realism for me, because that would have been too too fantastical too early. But they and didn't have the money for suspense. another kill, Drew. There you go. Okay. Um. So Why, was it in the script, and they and you know, like, is it in the liner notes that they cut it? They cut it. They're like, we just can't afford another kill. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> then you know, the world's best psychiatrist starts ranting and raving about how the evil is gone. Great way to talk about your patient. Mm-hmm. And then Very we scientific. cut to. Haddonfield, Illinois, and I, I got to ask, um, how did you guys feel about how well California stood in for the Midwest during this film? Didn't know, I mean, didn't really cross my mind, so I guess well enough. Yeah, same here. I mean, yeah, now that you mention it, it's clearly California, but, you know, they managed to get the every town suburb feel. This could pretty much be anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of what makes it scary. See, Here's the thing about this movie, and I think part of what made it so successful is like, so it's 78, right? So this is like Mindhunter era. And like, so the term for serial killer has not been even created yet. Yeah. But serial killers are active and they're like being discovered. And so you've got all of a sudden people being all nervous about kind of normal looking people who could be whack jobs murdering you. So there could be danger anywhere. And then you get this movie, what sets Halloween apart from say like Jaws or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 
or The Exorcist is that in all those other movies, there's a separation between you and the danger, like the danger is supernatural, the danger is in the water, the danger is hillbillies in Texas. In Halloween, Michael Myers comes to the suburbs and there is a home invasion. He attacks kids in the suburbs and he attacks a house in the suburbs and the mask very famously a william shatner mask drew i don't know if you knew that but that's the fun fact about that okay, it is a william shatner mask okay. it is a a mask of william shatner's face that they adjusted a little bit and spray painted white yes mm. um but it's blank it's this you know like a you know the idea of like the psychopath being like you know it could be anyone kind of thing yeah so it's like this blankness, this void that just arrives in the suburbs, could be anyone, anywhere, come from anywhere at any time, and attack you where you feel the most safe. Well, and there's and, something and, incredibly terrifying about that. Yeah, that's that's a really um yeah, that's a good way to 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 pinpoint what's uh what's unique about what's scary about this this villain. And there's nothing you know, supernatural not only, about him. He's just a man. And not only He's just a crazy he, man. Not only that, he's he's just a man and he, and he could be he doesn't anyone. just he doesn't just arrive, he doesn't just come to the suburbs, he returns. He is from that place. So yeah. it's kind of like beyond that it's like one of it, it there's a fear of any of my neighbors could you know, could have this in them. Well, I think this really, yeah, I, I will say watching this towards the end, I thought this really inspired a lot of the insane idea that Americans have about how they're constantly in danger. Yeah. Uh, because fr- since the seventies, violent crime has just steadily declined. And yet when, if you go into a social media platform and you, you'll see people who are like, I need a weapon at home. Cause someone could break in and stab me to death. Maybe while I'm trapped in a closet, and then maybe I'll yeah. get the knife and stab them, but then they'll rise from then. You're like, are you just describing the plot of Halloween? Because I don't think that's realistically going to happen to you, but Americans are convinced it is. Well, and whether it's due to this alone, I don't know, but definitely this, the popularity of this had to inspire some of that modern paranoia we have. But I will also talk about, you know, having grown up in the suburbs, like, you know, I used to walk home from friends' houses at night, and I found it occasionally very unnerving to do so. And this is yep. before I ever saw Halloween or anything like that. And, you know, at that point, you know, I have family in this in New York City, and I visited them all the time. And I would compare it in my mind to how I always felt perfectly comfortable in New York City versus the suburbs or this like you know green leafy suburb at night and i was like i guess it's kind of because in new york i feel like the worst thing that's going to happen is i would get mugged whereas here in the suburbs i might get chloroformed by some insane dentist and wake up in his basement locked to a chair where i'll be like strapped down while his family is having dinner upstairs and i will die down there now that is the yeah. horror movie The Dentist. Yes. You know, but also I mean like one of the scariest parts of Halloween, which I think is very accurate to its location, is when Laurie is pounding on someone's fucking door and screaming help me and they turn on the light, look out the window, and then they turn the light back off. 
yeah, yeah. that part is is rough. Cold blooded. I, I that was another moment I I actually kind of took smug enjoyment out of because it's like that horror movies you're constantly going, why do they always do the wrong thing? And she does the right thing. It just it doesn't it doesn't pan out. Like she cycles right. she cycles through the correct thing you should do. Uh, it just turns out that humanity is evil. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, that that scene felt very realistic. Oh my god, yeah. And I guess I will just say one last thing for Michael Myers is the fact that he is, and this changes in some of the later movies, and I think somewhat to the franchise's detriment, the fact that he's completely motiveless. He just he just kills. Yeah. You know, I mean, Lori. So we meet Lori once we get to Haddonfield and we meet Tommy Doyle, the boy who would grow up to be Paul Rudd. And she's walking to drop off a key at the Myers place where he's hiding out. And now, he just is, sees her. Where, and real, that's it. Just the fact yeah. that like everything that unfolds is due to the fact that she walked up to the house and he saw her and then was like, all right, going to kill that chick today. Yeah, it's completely coincidental, which I guess also makes it spooky. Uh, it makes it the randomness of it is also frightening, I think, to a certain extent. It could have been you. He has tendencies, though, right? Like the the his his kind of uh, you know, it's the first kill we see from when he's a child. Like I, I would I would point to the kind of quasi Oedipal, like you know, serial killers usually are. But there was nothing with the mom. It wasn't with the mom, but serial killers often have this complex where they they feel a sense of powerlessness and they want control and it can often manifest as a response to a sexual uh feeling of some kind it's it's funny in the halloween unmasked podcast um a psychiatrist who she a real psychiatrist who amy nicholson interviewed who uh has seen the film and had a lot of criticism for world's best psychiatrist, Sam Loomis, I might add, <laughs> talks about how he thinks that it is possible that uh, the psychosis that Michael Myers suffers from could have originated from his being sexually abused as a child by his sister, who he kills in the opening scene. Mm. And that, that tracks. Yeah, it tracks. Yeah, and then his victims that we see throughout the rest of the film, they're not unrelated stand to that dynamic. The yeah. They're stand-ins for the sister. It's interesting how he strangles most of his female victims the rest of the way and stabs the men. But uh, he also does get the throat slit in, but he chokes her to death. He chokes her out in the car. Annie, right? And yeah. he, he does slit the throat with the knife at the end for her, right? He chokes her first for a while though. Yeah, it's. I feel like the the throat slit is hard to see in the scene. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Josh, getting back to predictions. Um, so Michael Myers traditionally he uses a lot of different stuff, but mostly associated with using a butcher knife. Okay, here's machete, the, bro. Let's. We watched three Jason Drew, movies. Man. Let me be clear. <laughs> I concede I lost this bet, but when. Drew said butcher knife. I pictured like the rectangle, rectangular butcher knife that like is that, you know, like I pictured a in my head. The first image that conjured up was 
like a cleaver. I think. You, oh um, yeah. And this is more what I had in mind. Uh, I like it's a it's like a huge, you know, knife. But so your response to this was to say machete, the the weapon that is iconically associated with Jason Voorhees. We talked extensively how Friday the Thirteenth is a Halloween ripoff. Okay, okay, that tracks. And it is actually, I, I, you know, I don't want to go back to the suburb thing and beat it to death, but that was one element of why I think this is a scarier movie because in a campground, they're out there. You can leave. Yeah. And you can leave the suburb. The suburb vibe was like, you live there, your backyard. There's a murderer stalking you. That is a very, yeah. where are you going to flee to the city? And Oh man, the moment where she can't (laughs) find the keys, which is, which is really deep in, but you know, her dad is selling the old house. He's inside. He's, yeah, because he just sees her, he decides to stalk her. And then we get an afternoon of her life being stalked by this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Donald Pleasant's world's worst psychiatrist is sort of hot on the case, but really like hours and hours <laughs> behind anything valuable. He does find the discarded uh, clothes. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, he gets a union suit because he murders a guy, a mechanic, it looks like, or he, hit someone who works at a garage so he's basically stolen like a mechanics uh uniform is, is it me or I, I felt like it was a surprising amount of the action that happened in the daytime i yeah. i was expecting more of the movie to take place at night well here's the thing so much of the movie is the building of tension it's that he's yeah. we and also you know and this is to differentiate it from the the cheaper knockoffs that come after we get to know Lori and her friends so that we are actually kind of put out and sad when they die. Like when we talked about Annie's death uh, when she dies in the car, that is one of the deaths in, in slasher movies that bums me out the most. Like I'm always super sad when he, when Michael kills Annie because I really like Annie. She's a cool person. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I tend to be sad when, like, the final girl in a slasher dies in the next movie, but but that's because they are the ones who get development through the whole film. Yeah. You know? Well, but, like, that's... all the people are developed in this. They're real characters, and I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, like, upset they get killed. Another strength I, I want to point out, too, not to compare it exclusively to, to Friday, Friday the 13th, but you also get to know Mike Myers because you see... They show you so much more of Mike Myers than you get in the first two Friday, in the first two Jasons. And, and that's why, like, they have a creepy figure with the mask, with the dead eyes. And we know what it is, or we get a sense of what it is, but not trying to hide that until the last act actually really helps with the tension building. And I thought, you know, there are elements of this afternoon in uh, Hobbsville, Hob- Hobbit Town. What's the name of this place? Uh- Hobbiton from the Shire? Haddington. Oh, Haddonfield. Haddonfield. There's this afternoon milling around Haddonfield where he's lurking in the background and there's stuff like when she looks out the window at school that I thought, oh, that's really aped and hereditary. Like that's that's really quite, uh, not, not derivative, but you can just see how other directors have been sort of influenced by this movie. And I'm sure there's maybe Hitchcock movies before this. But uh, one of my favorite moments is uh, when the, when the doctor finally rolls into town and you get the shot of him, uh, Mike, Mike Myers is clearly 
they, like the I don't even know if the lens changes, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> he's in the background in the car, and he drives away to keep following Lori. And it's that little attention yeah. to detail that I found really uh, great at making this a, an effective scare. Well, talking about being influential and aped by you know other people, how about that scene of Annie getting trapped in the laundry room? launching an entire genre of uh, pornography that i had the same exact <laughs> thought actually and i was going to ask you if john carpenter because you said that the director of friday the 13th had previously done porn is that also john carpenter's story <laughs> because man i laughed so hard i'd completely yeah. forgotten that happens i mean, I mean not... that that whole that whole scene is ridiculous first of all what did she spill on her? It looked like she spilled like maybe a little butter on her. She shirt. says butter. Wait, I think we should talk about this in the context. We sh we should let it, the listener know that it's progressed from afternoon to evening, and basically all uh, the 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 friends are all babysitting different kids, and Annie is like at the stove, and yeah, she spills something clear on herself, and is like, oh, I guess I immediately have to strip down to my underwear. Like, yeah, like wait a minute, you could have just changed your shirt, and then. Like, or done nothing. It was like, yeah. and then, and again, this is one of those things where I was like, "What did she spill on herself? Butter?" And later in the movie, she's like, "Oh man, I'm only wearing a men's shirt because I spilled butter on myself." I was like, "Yeah, that's what I thought." It's pretty stupid. That you... Yeah, it's a clear excuse to just you but know now, give you it, some eye candy, and then I don't. Then I don't of course, think so. this movie is not. This movie stuck. is not titillating in that sort of way. I uh, thought the scene where she was stuck in the window and we got to see her bum from that angle was a little. Nice. <laughs> I think that was more. I think that. I, I mean, I. I think that was definitely a, an attempt to be to make you, the viewer, assume. Oh, she's gonna get. That she's gonna get it. That's where she's gonna die. Well, and yeah. then like yeah. so. So raising the stakes and then lowering them when the girl actually pulled, like you know, saves her. But uh, man, the uh, there's. I had a question. Now, a real uh, question for suburbs. I mean, I guess I grew up in a suburb technically, but like. Uh, washer dryer in a in in a shed out back oh i know mark? right now that's cal that's a california home yeah that california is not <laughs> illinois absolutely you don't cal have your washer dryer in a separate not in the middle of winter buddy in the back no 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 yeah that does or it certainly tips its hand certainly tips its hand there i want to call out in this scene michael myers yes he kills his sister as an eight-year-old he murders many people on that night but kills two dogs yeah obviously okay, a monster right. right oh my god the 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 one scene with the german shepherd where he like the you see the legs go limp next against his god john, that shot so upsetting john carpenter has a track record of being cruel to dogs that extends to the thing as well and i don't know if it's a personal maybe he's german not, shepherds in particular maybe he hates dogs do you hate dogs john carpenter i'm maybe he he fucking eats one hi my name's josh kohler and i'm running to be the director of halloween my opponent john carpenter hates dogs you Boo. can tell by, you could tell by the way he directed the original halloween Vote me to be the director of the next Halloween. Ooh, yeah. I love dogs. Yeah, I don't know. He uh it's pretty brutal, but at least it's mostly off camera. Yeah. And then they're like, oh I love when the uh the police the that's another thing, the detective or sorry, the police chief is like, I don't know, maybe it was a skunk. 
Like, is that a thing? The skunks eat dogs, kill and eat dogs in the suburbs? What's Not that I've ever seen or heard of in my entire life. So, you know what's really sad? There is a scene between the sheriff and Loomis where they're talking about what to do. And the sheriff is kind of giving Loomis the business a little bit. And he's kind of like, I think you're overreacting a little bit. And Loomis is kind of like, trust me, I know Michael Myers and I know how dangerous he is. You have to trust me that he's here to murder people. And the sheriff is still skeptical. He's like, all right, I don't know, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt here. But I'm telling you, I think this is all nothing. And as this scene is unfolding, we're watching it in the full knowledge that the sheriff's daughter is already dead. Mm. Wow. Heavy. Right? Yeah. Also, the sh- the the sheriff uh, disappears in the last act of this movie. Yeah. So, speaking of kind of getting to the last act, we get to Linda and her nerd boyfriend, Bob. I do like that uh, the movie implies that nerds can also get laid with uh, cool, attractive women. Very oh. progressive. Is he yep. a nerd? I thought he was just a really obnoxious human. Be- well, he's wearing nerd glasses. Oh, he was. I was glad he got dispatched. That was like too. His, that character was too much. His death fucking rules. It's the yeah. best death in the entire movie. He gets lifted off his fucking feet, and he gets yeah. pinned to the thing. And it's where we get the really famous. It's like the only piece of personality that Michael Myers has. It's the head tilt. Yeah, where he's looking, he's just admiring his work. kill. Yeah, yeah, that that scene is is well done. We get a little bit of his sense of humor in the uh, one that follows it. Uh, yeah. Where Before he, we get to he, that, though, I just wait. want to call out. Yeah. Bit of controversy. Wikipedia says that Nick Castle improvised the head tilt in an interview with Amy Nicholson. Nick Castle says that John Carpenter directed him to do this. That's not huh. a con- that's not a controversy then. That's an error on Wikipedia that someone that some person who doesn't actually have knowledge of how it went down posted. Well, at this point in the movie, it is evening uh, in a scheme to get laid, Annie has dropped uh, her child, her ward Lindsay off with uh, Lori, who's watching good old Tommy Doyle and Annie's been dispatched, unfortunately, by Mr. Myers via the choke and throat slit that we discussed at length. And her uh, friends have uh, come by for a shag in the house, which they find empty. Um, We just talked at length about that dude, Bob's grisly death. And then one of the more uh, macabre moments of the movie, when the, the woman of that, of that pair is in bed, uh, topless. Linda. Uh, Linda. And the door opens. I notice a lot of L names. Lori, Lindsay, Linda. Uh, is there a Lindsay? Lindsay's the child. Yeah, the, the girl. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But so she, she's uh, she, the door. Someone's at the door. And who is it? It's Mike Myers with a sheet over his head and Bob's glasses. And the it glasses is, really makes it. It's so freaking goofy. And she's just like, oh, hey, what's up, Bob? Like what you see. And I mean, it's sort of gratuitous boob flashing. But it is. I mean, I, I laughed because I thought this is maybe supposed to be funny, I think. Michael's got a sense of humor. He likes to play a little dress up. I mean, he's 
we've he could literally have just barged in and stabbed her to death. He's a huge, strong guy. So he does toy with her and well, wait till she's not facing mouse on, baby. Yeah. What a dick. But I mean it's also it's a little creepy because you know how vulnerable she is. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 definitely like upsetting. And I mean, I think overall, your this movie's maybe not too. Maybe we're far enough away from it for it to be too upsetting. But I think if I saw this in the theaters, I'd be like very, very stressed out right now. Yeah. And so, and then she also gets murdered over the phone with Lori listening. Oh yeah, strangled to death with the phone cord. Yeah, it sounds like sex again, linking that uh, sex and death motif. At um, first, yes, it sounds like an orgasm, but then it clearly, uh, Lori definitely understands that something is not right. Yeah. yeah, by the end of the call, and that the sounds become less sexual by the end too. Uh, the whole um, kind of like prank phone calling and um, weird calls coming potentially from the killer—that's a uh, Black Christmas reference too. That the killer makes a lot of obscene, weird calls to the sorority girls he's stalking in that film. And we have kind of a, a, a jump scare of that happen the first time when she gets the call from, uh, I think it's Annie and no one's on the other line and she hangs up, gets the call back and she's like, why did you hang up on me? I was just like finishing chewing something. Oh mm. yeah. Well, in that last bit, she goes, oh, Annie, your, fa- your famous chews. And now I get to hear your, maybe she even says your famous orgasm or something like that. But anyway, we're but, pretty much at the home stretch because yeah. this is this is what you signed up for when yeah. you decided to watch Halloween. It's Jamie Lee Curtis versus Mike Myers. Lori goes into the house and she discovers that fucked up tableau that he's set up in the bedroom. And Drew, I was talking about how so much of this movie is about building tension with him stalking her all day. This is the scene where, you know, she arrives in the dark house. She walks across the street. She goes into the dark house. She goes up the stairs. She walks down the dark hall and she opens the door and she sees this tableau, this horrible tableau that he has set up for her. And she breaks this tension that has been building through the entire film with a scream. And I mean, what a scream it is, too. It's one of the most famous, like, iconic, like, screams in all of movies, you know? I just think, as as a movie moment, it's one of the most iconic I can even think of. Yeah. I, we didn't mention it earlier because it doesn't really need mentioning, but I liked that they brought back the fact that they went to visit the gravestone of Mike, Michael's sister. And he's literally stolen it which I didn't quite get during that scene. I, I couldn't tell if the body had been robbed, but it's the headstone. And he's planted the headstone in the bed with, uh, with uh, I forget the. Form. I think it's Annie's body. Yeah, Annie's body. And the, the others are there too. Her, uh, her other friend in the, is in the closet and her boyfriend is, I, I thought that was pretty creative that Mike Myers rigs his body to kind of swing hanging upside down in from the, yeah, another thing Jason's going to steal from him. He could have yeah. had a, a real second career from serial killing, designing haunted houses, that guy. He's an yeah. artist. Um, no, it's creepy. It's a creepy scene. And then you realize like 
how, what is she going to do and how she, is she going to get away is, is the question. And with the kids, yeah. I mean, this is, so this is when she yeah, tries. what's going to happen to well, kids. But also, dude, he misses her twice during this final thing. He takes a swing. There are two times where he has the drop on her, takes a swing, and does not connect. Yeah, and there's also some hokey, like, car movie stuff where I did praise her for doing the right thing in terms of uh, trying to get help, but she also does the wrong thing where she's at the kitchen f- w- doors, which are basically French doors, and she, I don't know, thinks she can just break the lock open by by jiggling it, but uh, but they're windows, they're Panic. panes of glass, okay. so she could pick up a like a chair or a garbage can and just yeah, break just through smash it. Them open. And it's funny because he he break he punches through the kitchen door, and he's so, also had the wherewithal to plant that rake to trap. Yes, yes. Yeah, so the fact that a rake is what was holding it shut is like real suspension of disbelief territory. But she eventually does find an exit strategy by being like, "Oh, that's a great move. I'll I'll use that." And she breaks through the glass and pushes the rake to unlock the door. But really, I think if just a advice to any viewer or listener. If you're ever in that situation, just smash through the pane of glass and step out. You or throw something else through it first. Yeah, those wooden cross pieces are not structurally super sound. And if you have a chair or a trash can, that's your exit from the murderer. Don't waste your time jiggling. Yeah, it. if you might die, just go full on to start smashing stuff to get away. Just yeah, don't don't be a pussy about that. Another thing, another piece of slasher movie template that gets established during this oh in addition to bob saying i'll be right back before he dies is um laurie seemingly takes him the fuck out by stabbing him with a knitting needle but then gives up too early every time she gives up too early it's it's yeah uh, on really you you scratched him and you're just gonna walk away and and go and tell the kids that you killed the boogeyman you didn't see that he was dead you didn't check but here's your closet scene, Drew. She's trapped in the closet. No, that was me. Oh, Where sorry, Josh. Vi- oh, my goodness. You're attributing all of Drew's mistakes to me. This wasn't a mistake. My... This was correct. I know. That's why I want credit for it. You mother- yeah, oh, Josh sorry. gets the credit for that. I, I, I didn't uh, I think was... it's just because I've seen Halloween H2O and they, they essentially recreate it or they at least allude to. They have another closet scene. I liked it better when... She she gets but I, it's a great sequence. He drops the knife. She gets it. She stabs him, and then she runs away too early again without verifying that he's dead. Huge mistake. She and at least get gets that the, famous the sit up. Yes, the him sit up sitting is great. up like that is like I imagine being in the audience yeah. in the seventies for the seeing that for the first time and listening to everybody shriek and realizing yeah. these tropes these tropes were not as regular. We're really desensitized to them at this point. But That's, right. that uh, that that sitting up probably was unprecedented right like for this film at least like there, that you know yeah that, that that was original at that point and it's been it's it's caused a trope but here's right. another great moment at the end i want to highlight she gets the kids out of there he sits up and she's struggling with him and she pushes the mask up and she finds his kryptonite that is like his kryptonite which is which is because he puts the mask on as a child the clown mask and he, yeah, he like doesn't know what to do with himself. He lets her go in order yeah. to get his, you know, he's like Rorschach and Watchmen. He's like, my face, I need my face. Yeah, he's sort of got like a disassociative identity disorder where he can't be a murderer unless he's wearing like the, the murderer's face. And to mix my DC metaphors a little bit, um, the two kids come, <laughs> Dr. Loomis is walking down the street 
two kids run screaming out of a house and he's kind of like, that's my bat signal. And he goes into the house and he shoots Michael five fucking times until he goes flying over, you know, out of the bedroom, over the balcony and onto the ground. Lori's like, it really was the boogeyman. Famous fast last line for her. Anyway, Loomis is like, yeah, really was. And then he looks down. Michael's gone. The music kicks back in and we start seeing images all over Haddonfield of empty spaces where he could be lurking. Yeah. A lean hour and a, a lean 90 minutes. And that's where it's it ends. Tight 90. It's a tight 90 baby. Also in and out. Perfectly sets up a sequel. It does. Halloween two, which we are not going to talk about today, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how the movie ends. Drew, did we did we sell you any more on the quality of the film talking through it? Yes. Yes. You might still be disappointed with my my final thoughts. No. <laughs> I mean, I I say that because all of the all of the cinematic value that we're pointing to and discussing, I recognize is valid. Cool. So you know that's yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so let's, uh, we, we alluded to this earlier, but so how this movie performed financially, right? It had a budget of around $300,000. How much did it make? Guesses, guys? $30 million. I'm going to lower at $12 million. It made somewhere between 60 and $70 million. Wow. That's like better than avengers that's like avengers endgame money adjusted for inflation and this is thanks to uh halloween unmasked and this isn't the jokey adjusted for inflation that i normally do because i actually have the sort the the numbers thanks to uh amy nicholson here that would in 2018 money anyway be a budget of 1.3 million dollars and a return of 184 million dollars Outstanding. Yep. That made it the 10th highest grossing movie of 1978. And that is a year that featured some of the movies it was behind would be like Superman, Grease, Jaws 2, and Animal House. So that's the competition this little indie horror movie was racking up against. That's good company. Very good company. And yes, it was at that point the most successful independent film of all time. And it is still one of the tops. Top five? I don't know that. Um, but I do know that it made a ton of money and it basically it totally upended the horror genre and the horror business model. Um, and kind of by extension, the Hollywood business model, like basically everybody wanted to get into the horror business after this and the cheapy horror business. And you can see how that happened by the way it was immediately and very deliberately ripped off by Friday the 13th, which as a franchise was even kind of like more successful, you know, Mm. like Friday the 13th was explicitly like, look at how well Halloween did. Let's rip that movie off. Yeah, I wish they had ripped more of it off. It would have been a yeah. better. It would have been a better franchise. Rip well, the character you know, development off, will you? Itself, like it has six direct sequels, 
two reboot movies directed by Rob Zombie and the 2018 sequel slash soft reboot Halloween that you just alluded to earlier, Josh, directed by David Gordon Green. With which a is script. With a script. Of, co- yeah. I was going to say the script is co-authored by Danny, uh, what's his face from uh, all those James Franco movies? Danny David Trejo. Gordon- and <laughs> that is um, supposed to be the kickoff of a theoretical trilogy that because of COVID, we'll see what happens with it, but it's still supposed to happen uh, with, with Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Hey, they're making uh, movies again. What about that new Batman? Oh, yeah. Oh. Anyway, Danny Trejo's a great screenwriter, so I can't wait to watch that movie. Yeah, it's a legacy. It's a legacy movie. How have we not seen it? Feels like a thing that you could pretty easily edit for TV, too. Yeah. Hey, Drew, can you put us on mute for one second? I'll wave to you when you should uh, listen again. You're asking me not to listen to what you say next. Yeah. He's either going to lecture me or he's going to spoil upcoming Halloween movies in in this next segment. So you probably don't okay. want to hear it. He's asking it's you a to spoiler thing. Yep. So I shouldn't just say yes and pretend that I'm okay. That that would ruin the podcast and possibly the friendship. Okay. I I currently cannot hear what you were saying. You sure you sure you cocksucker? Because I'm gonna fucking test it. Those of you who are listening carefully and who are big fans of Halloween might have noticed that I said it spawned six direct sequels and not seven. That is because I do not consider Halloween 3 Season of the Witch to be a direct sequel to Halloween because, spoiler alert for Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, it has nothing to do with the actual OG Halloween. So... Stay tuned for that because we are going to be covering Halloween season of the witch in our next episode. And the episode after that, we'll be covering season of the witch with Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman. And after that, of course, we will be covering the witch starring Anya Taylor-Joy. And then the week after that, we'll be doing the Ronald Dahl adapted film, The Witches. And then, of course... (laughs) And then, of course, the following week, we'll be doing The Witches of Eastwick. And, of course, after that, we will all be getting subscriptions to the magazine Bitch. <laughs> all right, Drew, you can come back, buddy. Yeah, we're, I think we got, we're, I think we're done. You got the take. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, anyway, I think we've talked nearly enough. Are you blowing into that? It's a melodica, right? It's a melodica. Oh, Jesus. I think we've nearly talked Halloween to death, but there is one more question I just have to know the answer to. And that is, guys, do you consider this film to have been better late or never? By which I mean that seeing this movie filled some critical hole in your movie-watching life, don't care for that line in- reading. Don't care for that line reading one bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, that something about this movie was critical or essential and that seeing it filled some kind of hole in your movie watching life. 
whereas never means that if you went the rest of your life without ever having seen the OG 1978 John Carpenter-directed Jamie Lee Curtis-starring Halloween, well, God damn it, that would have been just fine. Drew, we're going to start with you, and I'm judging everything you say. All right. Well, uh, as alluded to earlier in this episode, uh, this movie's a never for me. You piece of shit. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Uh, Again, I, I think everything that we've pointed to through this discussion about the cinematic value of this film, how influential it's been on the, the whole genre since um, very valid. That said, I didn't, I just didn't personally enjoy watching the film and a lot of its legacy. I I've is so has been so woven into film culture since that. I feel like I've received most of the, like a lot of the a lot of the tropes a lot of the you know a lot of the bones of this film felt familiar to me based on things i've seen that have been influenced by it since so i don't know that i needed to watch it in order to be familiar with it um and yeah it was just seeing the origin you didn't really like yeah i didn't, didn't i didn't matter. feel like yeah it didn't it didn't matter i mean i i don't feel like i'm walking away from watching this film with a deeper appreciation for the genre or for any of those, uh, you know, pieces of the film that we've talked about. It's just, um, now I've seen it. All right. Josh. Uh, yeah, I'm putting in the better late column because it, I enjoyed it. Unlike, unlike Drew, I think that's the biggest difference. I did definitely feel a little bit uh, gross about the overall subject matter. But as as far as a horror movie goes, it was effective. It's definitely the kind of thing I'd like to watch with a, like my kid one day when I know that they're right on the cusp of like being able to handle this type of movie because I think it would freak them out. I think it would, re- it would really freak out a high school kid. Uh, and I think that would be kind of cool. So I'm glad I have that under my belt. And... As it is Halloween season, I've already started watching a number of horror movies. So having this iconic one now under my belt allows me to, with a guilt-free conscience, watch two and three and continue the series um, because we still have a good four or five weeks before the actual uh, Halloween itself, which I guess dates when we're doing this. So... I would say, yeah, I'm glad I did. I don't really have anything. I don't think it's the most epic um, film I've watched that I had not watched previously, but it delivered what I was hoping for and maybe a little bit more. So I endorse it, and I definitely endorse watching it with... I recommend watching it at night with the lights off, and if you're alone, that might even make it more of a creepy experience. Cool. As for myself, well, I'd seen it before, but I like this movie. It's not my favorite slasher film, but I do like it. Typically, it's got a lot did, of history. Typically, you give us a little bit of your experience with the movie. So when did you see this? I'm interested to know. Relatively late. I'm going to say I maybe never saw the OG Halloween. I mean, I saw like the sequels and stuff 
like all the time growing up. I don't think I saw the original until I was either well into or maybe even out of college. Like I saw this late in life. And so, you know, I'm probably somewhere between you guys where it's sort of like not my favorite horror movie. Um, but I do have a pretty deep appreciation for it. And I do, uh, I tend to like really like with John Carpenter as a director, I, I kind of run hot and cold on his movies, depending on which one it is, but I'm always very kind of impressed by what he accomplishes. I think he's very interesting and, um, you know, he gets a lot of mileage out of his budgets and he makes interesting choices. And, you know, I, I tend to, I don't always love the end results, but I tend to always be interested, you know? So, and the movie's just so important and so influential. So, you know, I just, I think it's a valuable film and it is, it is good. You know, it's like I said, it's not my favorite, but I do like it. And especially, you know, in this season, you know, I've made it clear time and again, I love the fall. I love horror movies. I love watching horror movies in the fall. So, you know, we've just reached that season. And so bringing it in with this film, there are much worse ways to spend an afternoon. And I had a good time today doing that. So, you know, yeah. I, I like the movie. I think the one other, when you're chasing the horror movie dragon, you, you tend to watch a lot of movies and it's a surprisingly high ratio of bad to good. So yeah. sometimes you watch a good one. I mean, I've can certainly, without calling them out by name, have probably already watched five bad horror movies in this early fall season. And, you know, so you catch a good one and you're like, maybe you value, value it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a legitimately great film and it's it would be one that you should catch to having your bona fides, you know? So unless you're drew, unless you're drew with in which case you could, your life is unchanged or would never have been changed. No, Drew's just wrong. Objectively. (laughs) All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Please join us next time when we will be covering Halloween three season of the witch. <laughs> this is a genuine melodica too. We can actually see Josh playing it on the video. Trying to anyway. Uh, if you'd like to contact the podcast, please email us at betterlatethannevpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at betterlate underscore pod. Guys, thanks for watching the movie with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Good being here. And for all of you out there listening, please like, subscribe, leave a five-star review on iTunes or whatever they call it nowadays. Do all those things you're supposed to do and I will catch you next time. Bye! Bye!